Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Rigging the Game podcast. Today's special guest is Zachary Babcock from the top 50 and maybe top 20 podcast, Underdog Empowerment. And Zach's got a interesting background. He spent five years in, in prison over multiple uh, sentences. And from that has really turned his life around and has grown this very successful podcast, but also uh, grown a multi six figure business from that. And what's really inspiring about his story is his focus on reducing the national recidivism rate, which is crazy. And he's got a goal to get that down to 9%. So I hope you enjoy this wide ranging interview with Zachary Babcock. Here's the big question. In the game podcast. If you're looking to change your family tree, redefine an industry, reach new limits, or live an unconventional life, how are, how are you setting yourself up to guarantee this will happen? This podcast is going to cut through all the cliche, cookie cutter, and conventional recommendations about finance, business, and life, and give you the tips you need to get the outcomes you want while playing your game. I'm Dan Nicholson, and this is, is, is the Rigging the Game Podcast. Welcome to the Rigging the Game podcast. I've got an awesome, awesome guest today, Zachary Babcock from Underdog Empowerment Podcast, and he's just everywhere on the internet right now. He's got a crazy uh, story as an underdog, I think spent around five years in prison, but, but that's not really the full story. Uh, if you've heard any of Zach's content out there, uh, I don't think the full story really stops at, at uh, prison. He definitely has not allowed that to define himself and is, is crushing it. Uh, so let's just dive right in. Zachary, thanks for, uh, for jumping on the podcast. Really pumped to, to have you. Hey, Dan, I appreciate it, man. I'm excited to be here. So, so as I sort of mentioned, you know, you've got this killer podcast, Underdog Empowerment. I think at one point it's been top 50 on iTunes, really rapid ascension to get there. I think you just recorded, I think your hundredth episode. So to get to top 50 is pretty, pretty crazy. And a big part of your story is is the underdog component you know, five years in in prison and there's a lot of material out there that people can read about on you and your story and we'll talk about it a little bit but really where I want to start with you is I've noticed this this sort of through line of in following your story of kind of this entrepreneurial spirit that always seemed to exist in you and, and maybe this this prison thing was a kind of a sidebar I'd love to start with with sort of thinking back to before things went went sideways for you. When did you kind of realize that that entrepreneurship or or being a salesperson, growing a business was was going to be part of your your story? Man, I love that question. I don't really get to talk about it much, man. We're it's 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 really unique, man, because I remember growing up when I was a little little kid, ever since I can remember, like five or six or seven years old. I always had this vision of like being in a, a, on stage in this big crowd and stuff and I could see it vividly and and then it, that turned into uh doing music and and so then for the longest uh I grew up at, at 11 years old I believe it was when Eminem came out and he was like my idol and so I became a, a gangster rapper for a while and uh nice. we, yeah it's, it's a funny long story I won't get all the way into it but uh you know, we were doing some. Where do we find that online? Where do we find your eleven-year-old? <laughs> well, thank God, because back then it wasn't online. We were we were still doing <laughs> tapes and CDs. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, that was that's that's a that's a funny story. But that you know that that's what it was was that vision, man. I always wanted to be something significant, something like you know that 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 really you know made that huge impact but that was going to have a legacy that was going to be remembered after I'm gone like that's that's something I've always been drawn to and um I remember getting my first job at uh at McDonald's when I was 16 years old and I lasted half a shift and then I walked <laughs> out <laughs> and I felt like Scarface off the movie uh Half Baked or whatever <laughs> when he's like hey, yeah. if you I'm out of here whatever um it's just because it wasn't for me, man. Even in school before this, like I stopped going to school at five, at five years old, at, in fifth grade, uh, just because like I could never, like 
to go to like a set conform to something that just didn't interest me. Like I wasn't that I was dumb. Like I'm not super smart or anything. I could do the academic work that was given to us, but it just didn't interest me. And I, like they said, I had ADD, ADHD, ABCD, all of that. Like <laughs> I just couldn't pay attention, man. Um, and it just, I, it didn't excite me, but if it was something that I was passionate about, that was exciting. Uh, I was all in, I was either a hundred percent all the way in or all the way out. There was no half step. And, and I remember uh, when I got the job at McDonald's, I, I, I quit that half a shift later. And then I started getting into a bunch of sales jobs. And I always thrived in that uh, because I love interacting with people. And uh, the, the whole process of a sale uh, has always been really interesting to me. Uh, you know, it's like, hey, you can, if you develop uh, persuasion, like really get good at persuasion and you're doing it for the right reasons. And you're also making sure that you're, you believe in what you're selling and that it's actually going to help the person. I think it's really cool because you can get whatever you want if you get really good at it. And so I always did well with those. And then, um, and then I did a bunch of uh, selling roofing, thermal windows, siding, gutters, door to door, uh, selling steaks off the back of a pickup truck, uh, you know, retail sales jobs where you're selling clothes. Like those always been the areas that I've uh, didn't did well at. So I guess that was kind of like really, I didn't know what entrepreneurship was then, but I knew that that's was more towards what I leaned for, you know, something where I didn't really have a cap on, I mean, obviously you have a cap on how many sales you can make, but like there was, I wasn't paid a, a set amount per hour. Like I could go out and create as much as I wanted to. Yeah. It sounds like there's this kind of intersection of defining your own future. In other words, like, I don't want to be limited or told that I've got to be something that I'm not with sort of wanting to do something significant or build a, a legacy. And there seems like there's sort of that, that intersection for you of, and that kind of this tension that maybe exists around how do I build that legacy? And there's all these things I'm told I'm supposed to do, but at the same point, like I don't want to conform to things I'm told I'm supposed to do. Yeah, man. 100% dude. And it, it's like when um, I was doing the, the I started rapping at such a young age and was doing that all the way, uh, even when, when I actually went to prison. But when I, I got in trouble one night, uh, me and we were, we were 17 years old. We went around, robbed a bunch of houses in a, in a rich neighborhood. We were just stealing out of, we were stealing out of the cars, being knuckleheads, right? Um, yeah. Cars were left open. We'd steal what was in there. And if they left their garage door open there, we'd open it, drive off, come back 30 minutes later. And if there, nobody was there, we'd go in the garage and steal power tools or whatever. Just being idiots. And I ended up get, catching some cases for that. And when that happened, I started using heavier drugs. I graduated from weed quickly to ecstasy and cocaine. And the next thing you know, I'm doing crack and heroin because I feel like, I felt like my life was over. I had no light the tunnel. I was just in a really dark place. And that's where. Um, I kind of started losing that passion for, I guess, rapping or, you know, the music at the time, um, you know, and I went away and did it, did a bunch of time, but that there was always something though inside where it's like, man, I want something more. I want, I don't want to just have this, this average life and just be, you know, blend into a sea. Like I want to, I want to stand out, man. I don't want to do something. I want to do something powerful. I don't know. And I didn't even know what that was for the longest time it was music. And then at this point I, I was confused, but I knew I still wanted that in my life. Yeah. So things start going sideways for you start to do the drugs kind of start to take over a bit more and, and eventually you, you land in prison. I think the story goes, you had a four year, four year sentence and then uh, ended up getting out and kind of rebounding and then uh, going back for a year. Is that, Maybe you could speak to that a little bit. And then I got kind of interested in, in more so uh, how you ultimately rebound from all that. Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah, it was, I, I got a seven-year sentence, and I, uh, I had to do four years flat on it the first time. And so I went away for four years when I was 19, came home when I was 23, uh, came out. Uh, never was, you know, I lost my sister from a heroin overdose while I was locked up that time. And so I was done with the drugs and, and I don't think anybody coming out home from prison actually wants to go back to prison unless they're like complete psychopaths. You know, I think pe real people, <laughs> right. people, I think people really do want to do good and live a good life. I know I did. And 
so I got a, I couldn't get a job anywhere. I got it. I started working under the table for, uh, at a bar and grill as a cook. And I was working 50 to 60 hours a week there. Uh, one of their best workers. Cause I was really grateful just to be able to have that opportunity. And, um, then I ended up getting a job at this clothing store that I shopped at a lot. And it was, it was really funny, man. I go in there and the, the man, I guess he was, I didn't know it was a manager, but it was the manager. And I'm like, Hey man, how much for, uh, for that mannequin right there? And he, he's looking, it's like, Oh, do you want the undershirt? Do you want the outer, outer shirt? Do you want this, this? And I'm like, I mean, how much for everything on the mannequin? And he looked at me and I'm wearing all the buckles clothes or whatever. And he's like, you want a job here? And I'm like, damn right. And then, uh, we, uh, he had me fill out an application online and they immediately declined because they always do that if you're a convicted felon, uh, anytime you fill anything out online. And I told him, I was like, hey man, I keep on getting declined uh, when I was filling this out. Like, and I told him my, my situation. He's like, oh man, no worries, man. Just fill out this paper one here. We'll go ahead and get you started. And so I did that, started the next day. Third day, sold 3,000. The whole store did 9,000 in one day. They gave me a promotion. I put in my two weeks at the bar and grill where I had stability in my life. And then two days after that, they're like, uh, dude, you're a convicted felon. Uh, we can't promote you. We got to fire you. You got to go. And so, yeah. But, and, and so instead of, you know, I let that get to me instead of just keeping my chin up, search for other opportunity, I decided to throw a pity party and feel sorry for myself. And I made all the poor decisions as a result. And I became an alcoholic, raging alcoholic, uh, for the next six months, I ended up getting a DWI and then I got sent back. I, I woke up in Ferguson, in Ferguson police department, uh, to learn that I was heading back to prison, uh, and that was 20 days before my twin sons were born. And wow. it's a long-winded winded answer, but that was it for me, Dan. That was the, that's the answer to the question. That was like, how did I rebound by hitting the rock bottom and learning that I was going to miss out on my children being born when all I wanted growing up was to be the father that I didn't have? You know, a lot of people aren't able to do that, though, I, I imagine, where they they seemingly hit rock bottom, but they stay there. Mm -hmm. What do you think is within you that, that allowed you to recognize rock bottom and take the steps necessary to, because there's something powerful here for, for anybody to take away from whether they've hit some tough times or not of somehow you were able to not just recognize that it was rock bottom, but then put in the, whether they're systems mentally or constructs or willpower or something. What, what do you think that was? I, I love this question. And it's such a, it's such a tough question to answer because, you know, every, every human being's different, you know, I mean, we got our basic psychology, you know, universal psychology that we all have, but you know, everybody's situation, how they grew up and how their condition is different. But I guess I would say, man, you know, for me, it became, that my desire to change was stronger than my desire to say the same. And I wanted it that bad. And it was just too painful, you know, like every, every, every single decision that anybody makes, you know, is based off of the two pillars of moving towards pleasure and moving away from pain. And that's how we make every single decision. And, and most people, their, their need to avoid pain is stronger and greater than their desire to, to, to gain pleasure. So I hit my pain threshold. It was so painful because that's one thing I, you know, my, I love my family and, and that's what I wanted to be all growing up being that father figure that I didn't have. And I was having, you know, twin boys and now I'm missing out on it. such a huge moment in their life and I'm not being there. And so that was huge for me, but I also look at it that you got some people now conditioning, it, it plays a major factor in how you end up in life, but any type of conditioning can be broken and can, you can rewire yourself. Uh, some people just don't know how to do it and it's not taught in schools, unfortunately, but you can break any conditioning. But I, my thought process is why some people hit that rock bottom and, and shoot to the moon afterwards. And then some people stay there and die or whatever happens. I feel like some people are exposed early on to what's possible for them versus some people aren't exposed to what's possible and that's all they ever know. And that's another reason why they never escape that and they accept their quote unquote fate, but they really just don't know how to rewire it. I know that's a, it's kind of a, a rabbit hole we went down, but I, that's, that's the best, no, best I, answer I can come up with. That's awesome. And, and just to maybe dig a little bit deeper on a few things that you were just sharing there, 
Um, you know, you mentioned here you are, like fifth grade, kind of checking out a little bit from formal education and, and uh, people saying you've got ADD and ADHD and all that. <laughs> but then later, you've got this awareness of the idea of like, of pleasure versus pain and conditioning and being exposed. Where did you, is this just something you intuitively kind of extrapolated out on your own? How did, how did you figure that out? What I was just talking about, I didn't know it at the time. Uh, I've, you know, since, you know, became really heavy into personal development, self-educate myself, you know, I've learned, I actually learned about the pain versus pleasure uh, psychology aspect in humans by reading Tony Robbins book, uh, Awaken the Giant Within. And, uh, you know, I just learned about conditioning a lot through Tony Robbins, but a lot of other, you know, books that I've read and conversations that I've had with other people. And, you know, once you start to pay attention to something, you start noticing it. Like, you know, you never notice that car that you're about to buy until you buy it. And then you see it everywhere on the highway afterwards or whatever. You start paying attention to it once you're exposed to it. How much of the kind of conditioning exposure, uh, you know a lot about persuasion. I'd love to talk about that more. How much of that did you hone while you were in prison? Was there more of a kind of tacit awareness of how the power dynamics were at play there? Man, you know, you know what, Dan? I, I mean, I don't regret anything, and I wouldn't go back and change anything because I wouldn't be where I'm at or who I am today. I, I'm grateful for everything happened the way it did. But, man. I didn't read at all in prison and I had so much time too, but uh, I wasn't into it then. Um, I didn't, I wasn't exposed to it yet. I actually started reading books uh, when I, when I got out and I did the network marketing for two years before I moved on from it. Um, that's when I got introduced to personal development and started reading. Um, so I, I mean, you know, I, I didn't really think about it in there, but I, I remember while I went back the last time, I did read one book in there and it was the 48 laws of power by Robert green. And I was like, my initial thoughts was like two, it was two sides of the coin. I was like, wow, this is powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. And then the other thought was like, man, you better be doing good with this type of stuff. Cause there's a lot of deceptive yeah. things in there. And I was like, man, you know, like this ain't good for, you know, this, this book doesn't belong in the hands of the wrong people. But, um, that psychology stuff always been interesting to me. I've always, it's weird. This is such a, a weird uh, contradicting thing, but like I've always been really good with people and like really, uh, I guess like can uh, empathetic and like I can read situations. I think we all do to a certain degree, but I, I could tell if like, you know, if you walk in a room and there's just an awkward vibe, you could feel it. Like I, I really pick up on all the small little details and feel if like someone's uncomfortable around me, I could tell, I could tell if somebody does says something to somebody else and that makes that person uncomfortable where a lot of times a lot of people would miss that. Like I just always been really good at picking up on those types of things and been really good at communicating with people in a way where, you know, it makes them feel good. It makes them feel uh, important and uh, part of the conversation. It shows that I'm actually listening, but at the same time, what's weird and contradicts itself is that, Dude, I can go on a stage, like I've spoken on stage to 5,000 plus people and like that's in my element. I'll go up, dude, and just crush it, right? But if you get me in a group of like three to four or more, ten, like a small group, like three to 15 people, uh, people that I don't really know that well, hardly at all, I, I'm like socially awkward. So it's just, I don't know, it's weird. Hmm. I don't understand it, but yeah, I know that kind of went off on a tangent somewhere else. There's that thing that I preach, which is play your game. And that's so much the underpinning of this whole podcast, which is, look, there's all this BS, uh, kind of what I call like Fortune 500 finance and, and all this big corporation stuff that we're all kind of shaped around in most of the publications that are out there. And just this whole notion of what you're supposed to be doing or sh should and should be doing. And, and often that takes us away from our our kind of unique intuition of what's going to be best for us and ultimately our, our own unique style of play that's going to lead us to actually win at business and life and ultimately crush it. And 
kind of what I'm hearing from you is that at some point, whether it was started down this direction in prison and ultimately, you know, the pain got great enough, but at some point you realize what your actual style of play is. And, and it sounds like that kind of <clears throat> unlocked this next level. So what would you say with that in mind, does that, does that ring true to you? And, and, and if so, how would you sort of describe your, your style? Yeah, man. I love this question. Absolutely, dude. So like I mentioned, I, I, I did network marketing. I got into that right when I got out of prison because I couldn't get a job anywhere. And then I got introduced to it. And at the time, I didn't even know what network marketing was. So you couldn't even scare me off with the word pyramid scheme. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've seen pictures of pyramids. They look pretty, pretty sick. Right. They're, they're, they're powerful, right? How, <laughs> how can I get one of those pyramids? So that sounds like a cool scheme. Right, <laughs> and uh, that's funny. I did that, man. Uh, I, dude, I I was hungry and on fire, and um, I I created almost a two thousand dollar a month residual income within my first six months in, but then I lost my passion for it because it's just it wasn't my thing. And by the end of the two years that I was doing it, I was completely out of it. I was like, man, this is not my thing. I know I'm 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 made for something more than this, and I'm not bagging or dogging out network marketing companies are the people in there. Uh, just like anything you got good and you got bad, just like in everything. Uh, but the company I was in, I was taught to make a list of people and spam them <laughs> with your product and uh, uh, opportunity. And if they weren't right for it to keep it moving and just not even treat them like real humans or whatever. And so that's one of the main reasons why I lost my passion. I was burning bridges with people that I actually cared about and, and that I'd known for a long time and stuff. So I moved on, decided to become a life coach, bro. I didn't, I didn't make a single penny as a life coach or help a single person. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anything about marketing. My messaging was just all over the place. It was nasty. It was painful. It was rough, but I learned a lot. Um, and then I, I launched the podcast and you know, before I launched the podcast, you know, when, when I got into entrepreneurship though, bro, I was scared to share who I really was because I was like, man, if I share the stuff that I used to be in prison, I used to be a drug addict, then nobody's going to take me seriously. And then I won't be able to provide for my family at all. And then on top of that, I got to act like I'm some positive person all the time. And mm. that's just not me. Like that, I, I don't, I don't trust people that say that they're positive all the time because we're all human beings and we all have dark thoughts, emotions, and desires. What just most of us suppress them into our, unconscious and act like they're not there and that's where it can get dangerous where it can actually consume you but if you bring that to the surface and incorporate it with the rest of the persona then you can actually stop those dark thoughts feelings and desires from actualizing themselves that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down but but yeah. you know i i was just pretending that i was positive all the time and that i never had a bad day and none of, you know and and that's just not me and, and I, you know i i was able to finally stop holding back the punches and really step into myself and use my darkness for good. Like I use those dark feelings like anger to do good things with, you know, like, and I, I feel like when you're able to channel it in the right way, that's where you can get ahead. And so that was huge for me. Cause then I, 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 I the main thing for me is like for, for my business model, uh, like I'm not even running ads at this moment. Like I'm literally doing a podcast in my Facebook organically and that's how I build yeah. my business and, and really just releasing the filters, not holding back any punch, just being myself that connects with people that connect with me and I'm, and I can be myself because here's the deal, man. If you, what, no matter who you act like, there's always going to be a bunch of people that don't like you regardless of who you act like. So it's just a lot easier being yourself and you're just going to attract the people that will get along with anyways. And um, a lot of things I, I, I do to go in it is all in positioning of being myself, but strategically going about doing it. We can, you know, dive into deeper into that aspect if you want to want to talk more about that. But yeah, man, that was that was big for me just to really, you know, stop the filtering. Yeah, I want to circle back to positioning in a, in a moment, but I wanted to maybe hit you with a follow up question on kind of the style of play. I when I when I. Often, uh, to say new clients of mine, I bring up this idea of like, what's your style of play and, and uh, are you actually executing on that? And 
most of the time I get, I don't know my game. Like, I don't know my style. How would I figure that out? Or I get, well, I can't. I'm, I'm, my style is like super competitive hustle or like, hey, I'm an introvert and, and, and I'm more passive, but I like to research things. And, but I can't do that. I got to be more in, in your, I got to be more extroverted. And so there's either this, like, I don't know my game or there's reasons that they kind of explain away why, why they shouldn't be playing their style, style in business or in life. I guess, what would you say to those people? Like what's, what's your answer to that? I mean, you, here you are uh, playing your game, embracing the fact that you went to prison and that, that you've rebounded and you're an underdog. What would you say to the, the people who are like, I don't know my game or who are just aren't willing to play their game? My best answer I can come up with that is to play the game that is be the player that you're supposed to be in the game. Don't try. Like, and what I mean by that, I'm just trying to give like an analogy, but, Man, when I was building my, like I mentioned, build my personal brand before and being something that I'm not, here's the deal. I'm going to attract people that, that I'm not the right fit for. And you can't put up a fake in a front, man. Like you might be able to do it for a little bit, but people, people will quickly realize that that's not who you are if you're not being yourself. And this goes just for building a personal brand. You know, like if you're a company brand, like obviously you can be whatever to whatever customer avatar, but but building a personal brand, it's a personal brand. So if right. you are, if you're being anything that you are not, you won't be able to keep that up. And I, and I learned this the hard way. And so instead of like doing this, like, like trying to figure out the perfect person and making up this imaginary customer avatar or whatnot, I just started, my customer avatar became a self of who I was yesterday because I can relate to that person and I know I can help that 100%. person. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, that's an in, incredibly powerful takeaway for those who are listening out there. I, I have real issue with all the marketing stuff that's out there about like, you got to figure out your, your, uh, some specific niche. It's like, how about you just be yourself? Like <laughs> there's at least a hundred people out there, hundred true fans. And there's a book called 100 True Fans that people should check out. There's at least 100 people out there that are like you. They're not exactly the same person. I'm not saying that there's a clone of you, but there's at least 100, probably thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who want the same, same exact things that you want, have the same exact problems. And guess what? No one knows you better than you. So you can create a whole brand market. That's it around what you want rather than trying to come up with something that you think other people might want that you've never, that you don't have any background on. So I Dude, think that's such a good, good point that you made. 100% man to kind of, kind of build off of that. Like before when I, when I was a life coach and didn't know anything about marketing or whatnot, my brand was win with Zach and it failed miserably. I kept pushing <laughs> it out, but it failed miserably. It was my YouTube channel, all that stuff. And the reason why, cause it was about me. It was a win with Zach. You know, it's like, Nobody get behind it. And then, then I started studying marketing and psychology, like became a geek about it, still am, um, and started learning, like you got to create a movement for everyone that people can get behind that also is you, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, and I landed on underdog empowerment, the podcast, and that speaks directly to me, but also to a, a whole lot of people out there that feel like underdog entrepreneurs and it's underdog empowerment, you know, like people that, it's 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 geared towards the the rough around the edges alpha male type you know that's committed to doing whatever it takes to win to get to the next level um, to get the respect they, they feel like they're disrespected they want that respect and recognition um, they just want to win and they want to they want to get what they it's it's not even about proving other people wrong it, it, you feel like that at first but you've come to realize that it's about proving yourself right that hey. Nobody can tell me that I can't have something. Only that's a, that's up to me, and I can prove myself right. So that's and so when I did that, man, that that caught fire because I was being myself, and I created uh, a brand that wasn't you know win with Zach. It was underdog empowerment. It was a movement at that point, and uh, that, I think that's uh, one, some of the key factors that helped uh, you know skyrocket. And you're doing three episodes a week now. Some are a mix of of guests, but a lot of the episodes are are you talking about sp 
specific topics, right? Yeah, man. So, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's crazy. Um, at the time of this recording, next week, uh, it's going to be my first time. I'm, I'm not going to consistently do it. it. It jumps back down to three, three week. But next week, every day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I got an episode coming out, and I'm testing that, and I just want to see how that performs. Um, I never done that before. The most I've ever done was three a week. Uh, but yeah, right now I am up to three a week and, you know, I do, do, do interviews, you know, where you bring on people and hear their stories and, and really learn. And I really try to get deep and, and find some golden nuggets, just like you're doing right now. You're doing an incredible job at that. Um, and then, you know, I have the solo episodes where we just talk about one, one topic, something that I'm really passionate. About, I feel like would really help some people. And we just go deep on it. And so somebody is listening and I was there, I've been wanting to do a podcast for years before I finally uh, pulled the trigger on it. People out there listening are like, I could never come up with three episodes a week or five episodes a week. And it's like, you're a perfect case study in this. You, I would imagine that you can come up with five pieces of content because you're not trying to fake it and be somebody else. It's like, here's something I'm thinking about. And my whole message is about who, who I am and what I care about. And that's my audience. So I'm just imagining that by sort of having the focus that you've developed, it allows you to go, I'm going to do five episodes this week because I've got at least five ideas just like rattling around in my head right now. Dude, I yeah, beautifully put. And, and here's how easy it really is to make content. I used to think like, man, that's a lot of work. How do you do that? Dude, you could sit down, like you mentioned, you're being yourself. So you're talking about topics that you obviously already understand or at least have a, a good understanding about. And you relate it to stories of how you've implemented or experienced it in your life. People relate to stories. It's the best way to really engage people. And so you have these stories and you're, and you're sharing, sharing that and you're going deep on one topic and you're talking about things that you can understand about. So you, you, you write down one topic. I'm just going to use a broad general example. Um, copywriting. All right. I'd write down copywriting. Then I'd write down three to four to five bullet points, one word of something that I, I could read it and then I could talk about it. Like uh, I'd write headlines and then boom, I could talk about headlines in your copywriting for the next five minutes. And then I'd write down the word bullets and then I could talk about your bullets in your copywriting for the next five minutes. And I could write down the word offer and so on. You could do this with any topic. But if you're speaking on something you understand, then boom, you could just go and it just comes. You don't even really, literally just one word and you go because you're, 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 you're already understanding. And, and, and to really talk about the time frame and how to put out that much content, it doesn't take a lot of time. You sit down, you can sit down for an hour to two hours and map out an entire year's worth of podcast content or YouTube content or whatever kind of content you do in an hour or two, have an entire year's content calendar mapped out and know the topics that you're going to discuss on each one of those days that you do. And boom, you're set to go. It's, uh, I think, and I think that's one of the main reasons that holds people back from podcasting. A lot of people say it's the tech stuff and I'm like, no, we live in 2019. You can YouTube how to set up your tech stuff. That's how I did it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think there's so much power in your message of kind of just being true to yourself and being authentic and so much just sort of flows out of that in terms of like writing content, creating the content calendar you just gave a great actionable example of how to do that. And, and to kind of pivot a little bit, so uh, you launched this podcast around the time of this recording, 100th episode is coming out, and I think at times you've been around top 50 in a pretty competitive uh, space on iTunes. Uh, so there's some, there's some rigging the game element here. Somehow you've deconstructed and you help other people get to top 200. You've deconstructed how to how to get to top top 200 and, and then some, which I think is one of the other major holdups for people launching podcasts. How does one start to even think about launching a podcast and getting it top 200 or getting any sort of exposure? Absolutely, dude. So it's really really simple. How do you rank on iTunes? There's only four metrics that matter, and that's getting reviews, ratings, subscribers, and downloads. That's it. That's all me. Like it, it, people say, like, 
oh, you got to have a huge, large audience, or you got to, you got to know somebody that works at Apple and have them get you in there or you, whatever, <laughs> you know, you got to know a celebrity. No, man, you just got to get a lot of reviews, ratings, subscribers, and downloads. We got a top 200 script where like we run it through if everybody comes to our program, everybody we, we've launched with hits it 48 hours or less and we guarantee it within five weeks or less, but that's besides the point. So anyways, in the first eight weeks though on iTunes, iTunes is going to favor you and they're going to push you up. That's the only time also that you're going to be able to get on new and noteworthy within your first eight weeks of launching. So they favor you and they'll put you in new and noteworthy if you get some ratings, reviews, subscribers, and downloads. And what's the thing here is that you're not going to stay there very long because you're lacking all of that, obviously, especially downloads versus the people that are in the top 200 that's been there for years that have millions of downloads each and every month. It's kind of hard to compete with them. So what you do is you get that ranking uh, right out the beginning. You get that screenshot. You use that as leverage to go on and do a whole bunch of other things that we talk about in the program. Um, but you get that initial uh, uh, screenshot and that leverage and that, that ranking. That's your title. You are a top 200 rated podcaster at that point. Nobody can ever take that away from you. Uh, and that gets you a foot in the door in so many different avenues. But you climb back in over time uh, by growing your podcast, getting more downloads, reviews, ratings, and subscribers. Those are only four metrics that ever matter on iTunes uh, as at the time of this recording. And so you just get creative on how to get more downloads on your podcast, which we go through in the program as well. But that's it, man. You just It's just those four metrics. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And I think once you understand understand those four metrics, kind of un, removes that limiting factor of like I could never get on, uh, I could never have a successful podcast. Well, you've got the formula, so you got to you work the formula. How did you figure that out? How did you deconstruct? There's some there's some psychology to to how you how you uh, get these ratings, reviews, subscribers. How did you figure all of all of that out? I'm, I got a I got a bunch when I first launched mine, and then I seen that I ranked the next day after after getting them, and I was like, holy crap! And then I just went hard on on getting the reviews, and this was in the first week of me launching the podcast, and I, I realized, boom! And then and then tested it again with other podcasts, and boom, it works. And I'm like, oh wow, that, that, that's all that matters. Same thing with Amazon. You know how people become a bestseller on Amazon? They have people, they give away the book for free or sell it for a dollar and they have people buy it and, and leave a review because you have to actually buy the book to leave a review. So that's the reason why they give it away for free. And then they become a bestseller on Amazon. It's the same thing. It's just uh, hitting the ranking systems in there. Yeah, there's a deconstruction of successful people that kind of unlocks the next level. It's like, oh, I could never have a best-selling book. I could never have a podcast. Well, somehow somebody else, a successful podcast... Somehow these other people did, and some of them maybe got lucky, and some of them maybe already had a bunch of exposure when they launched. But the rest of us are are kind of deconstructing the process, right? Yeah. Sounds like that. That's kind of what you what you've done is step back and said, okay, I got this result. How? You just hit the dude. You just explained it perfectly, dude. Like, cause it, no matter. No matter who you are or no matter where you're at in life, you don't have all the answers and you're always like, like, well, let's just use uh, 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 um, Grant Cardone because he's super successful. A lot of people know about him, right? He doesn't know what he's doing right now because he hasn't done what he's trying to do. He, he Obviously, he knows a lot more than what me and you know. He's been in the game a lot longer and a lot further along, but he's trying to accomplish a goal that he's never accomplished before in his life. So he's currently figuring that part of it out. And that's the same with us all. That's the way we got to look at it. So that there's all, I run into this all the time. If you're an entrepreneur, you probably run into this multiple times a day. If not, I don't think you're trying hard enough, but I know I sure do. Every single day I'll run into a problem or an obstacle or like a, a current like pit stop is what I like to call it, where I can't figure out how to get past it. And I've trained myself like you like the ask myself the right questions. I'll, I'll say, how do I do this? What do I got to do to get past it? Who do I know that I could talk to that can help me get past this? Is I, like, I'll ask myself all these different types of questions. This really, you know, and, and I don't always come up with it right then and there. A lot of times I will figure something out, but I'll, I'll, I'll come up with these different approaches. Uh, I'll come up with these answers to these questions that I'm asking myself. 
and then I'll try them. And then if it works, boom, you know, we got past it. But if it doesn't, I don't change what I'm trying to accomplish. I'll just change, I'll ask myself other different questions and try different approaches until I figure it out. Um, but that's it, man. Just asking yourself the right questions. I really trained myself just to, uh, to solve problems. That's what we got to do as entrepreneurs. Anyways, we're just solving problems. No matter, you know, what type of entrepreneur you are, what type of business you run, you're essentially solving a problem for a person. And that's how you bring value to the marketplace. Yeah. What's going on in your head when something doesn't work out? It used to be a lot of vulgar words like, ah, or whatever, get, get upset. And yeah, sometimes I still get upset if there's something like, you know, that just drives you crazy or whatnot. But I'm always thinking like, man, there's, there's a way to make it through it. You know, other people have done it or it's been done before. I've done it before. What am I missing here? What can I pick up? What can I do differently to get me through? I'm just, I'm just asking myself these different questions and brainstorming. And a lot of times like I'll ask them and I won't get anywhere. And like, I'll have to take a break and like, I'll this is a hypothetical situation. I'll go work out or something where I'm getting all these endorphins and blood flowing through the body and it'll hit me during the workout or something or during the car ride or, or when I'm with the kids or something. And then a lot of times I'll end up being the answer or sometimes it won't. And I just keep on doing it though until I find the answer to it. Uh, and a lot of times I'll have to go and seek help from other people that do have the knowledge. You know, a lot of times it, I, it, you know, I, I believe you could come up with the answer by yourself to, to pretty much anything. But I also believe that sometimes it could take you 10 years before you find the answer versus you go find somebody that does have the answer. It might take you 10 minutes. That's awesome. How do you find the, the ADD or the ADHD or all those things that you were sort of diagnosed with or, or people told you you had, how do you find that impacts you now? Do you see that as, as an advantage? 100%. Every, I look at everything that not, uh, that a lot of people would look at and call weakness as my strengths. Like, going to prison and, and, and being a former drug addict and going through all that, like that's a strength because it, it molded my character and built strength in me. Uh, the ADD, ADHD, ABCD, all that, <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> that is a strength. I, I, I never took medicine for it. And yeah, my mind is, dude, I just going to bed at night. I literally have to like meditate and think and visualize and stuff because my mind will be everywhere. Like in, in, thinking about all these different things and like, like processes and thinking of like five or 10 or six or seven steps down the past it. And, you know, and I think a lot of us do that or maybe not, but I do a lot in uh, yeah. to, but it's, it's actually a strength though. Cause like if, uh, if, if it doesn't interest me, I cannot pay attention. I just don't do it. I just don't mess with stuff that I'm not, that I can't get passionate about and that I can't get excited about. But if it excites me, Oh, I can be laser focused and become obsessed with it in a good way. Not obsessed in like, you know, like in a, in a, in a, in a, in a bad obsessive type, type of way, but like kind of like in a Grant Cardone sense of where it becomes train of thought, front of mind, like clear focus, we're dialed in, we're going to figure this thing out. Yeah. The, the interest, the takeaway that I have from what you just said is to some extent, it's like, okay, ADD, ADHD, ABC, like that just sort of is. Like, yeah, got that. So how am I going to take advantage of it? Or it just, it is like noted. I have this. So what, like, let, how do I take, how do I, how do I use it to my advantage or how do I uh, set up the principal structure so that it, so that, uh, I'm able to hit the goals that, that, uh, I've set out for myself, like meditating at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and, and think about it, Dan, like really, Who's to say that ADD and ADHD is a bad thing? It's really just how you look at it and how you're conditioned to look 100%. at it. You know, like um, you were made that way. You know, it's not a bad thing. It's just like school systems and doctors will say it's bad because you can't do something that they want you to do or whatever. But I've used it in my life and it's been awesome for me. Uh, you know, so it's just really how you look at it. And it's, it's, it's just whatever lens that you're looking at from, you know, different people will see it as like, oh, it's a disease and it's a bad thing. And then other people like myself are like, dude, I've profited from my ADD and all that stuff immensely. Um, so yeah, I, I, and I never been, uh, you know, my mom, thank God my mom was on board with it too. She, 
she would never uh, let me do the ADD and medications and stuff uh, growing up. And I think that suppresses like who you truly are inside. It's such a difficult thing to reconcile, I would imagine, for, for parents in terms of wanting the best for your kids and, and what you're being told you're supposed to do and reconciling all that and what's, what works for one doesn't work for another. But at some point, you just sort of have to recognize, like, this is what I got. And how do I make the most of it? Yeah, I think I, I think my mom reckon, I think I think you, you couldn't have said it any better. I think she recognized that he, she knew that hey, he doesn't have a problem concentrating. He just has a problem doing stuff that he doesn't like doing that doesn't interest him. Like she knew if I was interested in it, like video games, I was on it. Like you couldn't have I was <laughs> down. Nobody could beat me in 007 on Nintendo 64 back in the day. Like I was the king or Madden, uh, any Madden football game. But, you know, it, she, she understood that. And I feel like, yeah, man, it, it, you just got to find your quote-unquote, what a lot of people would say is your weakness. Really, in every case that I've seen, turns out to be your greatest strength if you use it in the right way. That's right there in our wheelhouse. If you got to play your game, whatever that is, like lean into that, make the most of it, and also recognize it could be your biggest downfall at the same point. So we could probably chat forever, uh, or at least I could chat with you forever. I I got maybe one last question for you. Uh, Persuasion. Talk to me a little bit about your perspective on on persuasion, how how you use it to your advantage. Yeah, man. Um, So, you know, I I was raised uh, not by my mom, but, but, you know, like you hear it in school and for, and maybe from your parents, I didn't hear from my parents, but you'll hear a lot of that sales is bad and, you know, or, you know, it's, it's, it's got a negative connotation and some people flinch whenever they feel like they have to go into a sales situation. I've always thrived in it and, and was pushed into it. Cause I, I guess I got blessed enough and fortunate enough to realize that, you know, it could be a really great, powerful tool. And if you think about it, Every single human being uses persuasion in every interaction that they have. Our kids persuade us to eat ice cream, get the toys that they want to do, stay up later, whatever it is that they're asking you for, and they don't ever stop asking you for stuff. And then uh, we pers- <laughs> <I know laughs> we pers- yeah, man, it's a never-ending battle. They give me a run for my money, but uh, and then we persuade our kids to to eat the healthy food, the broccoli, or to go to bed on a certain time, or to uh, be quiet when we got headaches or whatever, you know, we're always persuading them. Our, we, our friends persuade us to eat at a, a cool restaurant or go to see the new movie that just came out. Uh, we're, we're persuading our boss to get a raise or to get vacation time, or we're persuading our employees uh, to uh, produce more or, you know, it, it, we're persuading our customers to buy. So we're always using persuasion. It's, it's part of how we communicate and so if you can get really good at persuasion, if you're doing it for the right things, you can get basically, you can get, essentially, you can definitely get anything that you want out of life. Um, and so my take on that is to, to master it because I feel it's the number one skill to master in business and in life in general. I just, uh, you know, I hope that you do good with it. And I hope you, you are persuading for the right things that what you're, I hope you, hope you don't, you're not just pushing a product on somebody because you want to make a sale and be persuasive and, and benefit from it. I hope you're pushing the product on somebody because you know, they need that product because it's going to, what's going to, it's going to get them to the next level. It's going to help them and you're going to benefit in return. If you're coming in from a, from a standpoint of really it, like you have to, like when I get on sales calls, I used to just get on sales calls and I was all about like trying to make the sale. When I'm on a sales call with somebody uh, talking about my product or service, I'm listening to them as if they are a friend that's in desperate need and in a bad situation. And I'm listening to their pain points and where they're having problems with. And I'm analyzing if my product or service can or cannot help them. And if it can, I'm doing every freaking thing in my power to sell them 100%. I'm not scared to do it. Like if I believe it can help them, I'm going to try everything possible because I believe in it and have that much certainty into it. And so I'm doing whatever it takes to make the sale if I know it's going to improve the quality of their life. For those of you who don't like doing sales, that model of uh, thinking, imagining the person on the other line as a friend who's in desperate need, I think 
super powerful for unlocking just I'm just being helpful. I'm I'm helping somebody out and I happen to have the solution for them or I don't. That's great. That that gives you the outcome back to how do we rig a sales call to win? Uh well, sometimes we actually get a sale which is great, but the other possible outcome is that we just feel good about ourselves. You know, we can't always control 30% of our sales calls, best case, we're going to close usually. So 70% of the time, maybe we're going to feel crappy. Well, this little hack you share, which is if I'm taking the position that I'm just trying to help somebody, a friend in desperate need, and I approach the call that way, then even if I don't get the sale, the other 70% of the time, I still feel like I help somebody. So th yeah. thanks for sharing that. Dude, can uh, I say I one guess, more thing? Yeah, please. I was literally on a sales call yesterday. And I was on there with a guy, and, and this is to give you an example. Uh, he's been following me for a while. He loves the underdog empowerment brand. Um, and he was inquiring about uh, my podcast program. And he had just, uh, he's legit like broke living with his girlfriend at her dad's house and just quit his job to go all in on his business. And I told him, I was like, I was like, dude, I'm just going to be straight up with you. You know, if you don't like me for it. You know, I, I mean, no hard feelings, but here's the deal, man, doing what's good for people and versus making people happy are two completely doing different things. If you give a kid candy all the time, yeah, you're making them happy, but is that doing good for them? No, they can get diabetes and become obese and get made fun of in school, whatever. Here's the deal, man. You just quit your job to go in on your on your business and, and you don't even know how you're going to feed yourself. Like why not work that job that you hate and use it as motivation to build your business on the side? You're, you're in no position to, I mean, I'm not the person to tell you that you, you can't invest in my program, but I don't think it's a good time for you. And I mean, you probably wouldn't even had the money to, to invest anyways, but that's the thing. Like I was literally legit, like trying to figure out is, is this, I didn't believe that investing into my podcast program was going to be helpful for him at the time because he doesn't even have his basic survival needs things going on right now. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And in that case, you can walk away. Say you try to sell him and he says, and you tell him the cost and then he says no. And then later you probably feel some shame of like, well, you know what? I knew he didn't have money and I was just trying to be opportunistic and maybe I could get a yes. So you just feel crappy about the situation. So that's where your intuition of like, and just trying to help somebody out sets yourself up to win in that, that call where you're not getting the no that you probably could reasonably expect to get anyways. You're just giving the person the advice that you'd give another friend. Exactly. So to wrap up any, where can people find you? Any, any asks that you have for, for my audience? Yeah, man. Uh, right on, dude. I'm really passionate about the podcast, obviously. <laughs> Love podcasting. If you guys enjoyed this interview, man, pop on over to Underdog Empowerment. You can subscribe on whatever podcast platform that you listen to podcasts on, probably the one that you're listening to this podcast now. And to make it really easy for you, you can go to underdogempowerment.com. And on the front page there, you can subscribe to whatever platform you love listening on. I hope to see you over there. Right on. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Right on, brother. It was a blast. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Rigging the Game podcast. You can find show notes and much, much more at www.riggingthegame.com. And remember, you get to set the rules for how you play this game of life. So if you make the rules, why not rig the game to win?